0: that he desires to have relationship with each and every one of us. And further and most impressively, it reveals to us that God is a saving God. In other words, he will do whatever it takes, including the death of his own son, in order to save us from the sin that separates us from him. This morning, we're going to look at the grace of the incarnation, Now, grace is unmerited favor. It's something that we receive that we do not deserve, um, and we're in the Christmas season, and we all are going to re- be receiving gifts uh, probably next week sometime. Some of us perhaps have opened some of our gifts already. But I want to read something to you from, uh, that I got off the internet about what not to buy your wife for Christmas. Now, Christy and I have an interesting gift-giving relationship, um, and I'm not going to go into that, but I did find some wisdom in these words. It says, Many a man has felt the extreme frigid temperatures for a long time based on poor gift-giving decisions. As a veteran of these wars, I'm not sure still what to buy my wife, but I will pass on these wisdom these bits of wisdom about what not to buy her. First, don't buy her anything that plugs in. Anything that requires electricity is seen as utilitarian. Don't buy clothing that involves sizes. The chances are 1 in 7,000 that you'll get the size right, and your wife will be offended the other 6,999 times. Do I look like a size 16, she'll say? Now, too small of a size doesn't cut it either. I haven't worn a size 8 in 20 years. Sure mistake. Avoid all things useful. The new silver polish advertised to save hundreds of hours is not going to win you any brownie points. Don't buy anything that involves weight loss or self-improvement. She'll perceive a six-month membership to the diet center as a suggestion that she's overweight and could use lose a few pounds. Don't buy jewelry. The jewelry your wife wants, you can't afford. And the jewelry you can't afford, she doesn't want. Okay, getting a little risque here. Guys, do not fall into the traditional trap of buying frilly underwear. Your idea of the kind of underwear your wife should wear and what she actually wears are light years apart. Finally, don't spend too much. How do you think we're going to afford that, she'll ask. But don't spend too little. She won't say anything, but she'll think, is that really all I'm worth? So, gift-giving, fraught with peril. But grace, the grace of the incarnation. Now, there are three different levels of relationship that, that we encounter with God. The first is the relationship of justice. The fact that God is a God of justice. And justice is when we get what we deserve. In other words, if we commit a crime, we received the just punishment for that crime. That is justice. Mercy is when we are forgiven. We don't receive that which we deserve. We are forgiven of our offense. But grace goes even further. Grace is giving something to the person who has offended and blessing them on top of everything. So here's how it would go in a court of law. For justice to be served, when someone had committed a crime, the judge would sentence that person to the appropriate time in jail. If mercy were applied, the judge would say, you are guilty, but you are forgiven. You do not have to go to jail. Grace would be when the judge said, you are guilty, but I'm going to extend mercy to you. You do not have to go to jail. And on top of that, I am going to purchase you a brand new home in which to live and to develop a new life. That's grace, receiving favor that you do not merit or deserve. Now, the world is no friend to grace. We talk about grace, and we think that we like grace, but the fact is that we do not like grace. We are not friends to grace. Why is that? Because grace is for the guilty, and we don't like to think of ourselves as guilty. Grace is offensive to us. The person who commits murder, receiving from the judge a brand new home, that offends our senses. It's scandalous. And most often, grace, when extended properly, is very costly. There's a, an indie music artist named Sufjan Stevens. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. Perhaps not. He's not that well-known, but very talented. Uh, I love listening to him. And uh, he's multi-instrumentalist. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but in many of his songs, there is a spiritual theme and a spiritual message. And in one of his songs, I found a true illustration of what grace is like or what understanding grace is like. This is a song written about John Wayne Gacy. Do any of you know who John Wayne Gacy is? Back in the 70s, John Wayne Gacy was found guilty of committing multiple murders. He had killed 27, at least, 27 young boys. He would dress up as a clown, go to various parties. He was a clown for hire. And they ultimately found the bodies of these 27 boys in the basement of his house. These are the lyrics to a song that help us to understand, I think, why grace is so offensive. As you listen to this, perhaps you will identify with it. Perhaps you'll say, that isn't me. That is not right. But listen nonetheless. His father was a drinker, and his mother cried in bed, folding John Wayne's T-shirts when the swing set hit his head. The neighbors, they adored him for his humor and his conversation. Look underneath the house there, find the few living things rotting fast in their sleep. Oh, the dead. 27 people, even more. They were boys with their cars, their summer jobs. Oh, my God, are you one of them? He dressed up like a clown for them with his face paint white and red. And on his best behavior, in a dark room on the bed, he kissed them all. He'd kill 10,000 people with a sleight of his hand, running far, running fast to the dead. He took off all their clothes for them. He put a cloth on their lips, quiet hands, quiet kiss on the mouth. Now the writer changes. Perspective and says, and in my best behavior, I am really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have had. Now, if you can identify with who John Wayne Gacy was and the demons that tormented him and say, in my best behavior, I can be just like that hiding so much beneath the surface, you begin to understand grace and you begin to understand the scandalous nature of grace. Even Paul the Apostle said, I am the chief of all sinners. Paul recognized the depth of grace that had been extended to him by God. And we have to be careful Because there's that parable in in the Gospel of Luke where the Pharisee and the tax collector go up to the temple to pray. And one of them, the Pharisee, stood up and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing far off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that this man, the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever exalts himself will be abased, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Grace is for all of us. We are all in desperate need. Grace And the incarnation is the ultimate illustration of a grace-giving God. God becoming flesh, just like us. C.S. Lewis describes it like this. He says, lying at your feet is your dog. Imagine, for just a moment, that your dog and every dog is in deep distress. Some of us love dogs very much. If it would help all the dogs in the world to become like men, would you be willing to become a dog? Would you put down your human nature, leave your loved ones, your job, your hobbies, your art, your literature, your music, and choose instead of the intimate communion with your beloved, the poor substitute of looking? into your beloved's face and wagging your tail, unable to smile or speak. Christ, by becoming man, limited the thing which to him was the very most precious thing in the world, his unhampered, unhindered communion with the Father. That's what grace is about. Now, I want to take... Lewis's illustration to a next level. Because we all love dogs, but really what happened here was it would be like us becoming a dog amidst a pack of rabid dogs, who are demanding of food and indifferent when fed, and they come upon us and they begin to rend us and tear us apart in order that we might benefit the population of all dogs. Would you be willing to do that? Because that's exactly what Christ did for us. We were the rabid dogs that he became like. We tore him to pieces. We infected him with our disease, sin, so that we might be cured, we might be healed, we might become like him. That's what grace is. See, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, he would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So he sent to us a savior. He became like us. Now, there are many purposes within God's will within the uh, incarnation. To do God's will, to bear witness to the truth, to bring light to darkness, to bring true judgment into the world, and ultimately to bring abundant life to all who would believe. There's numerous, numerous blessings that we receive because of the incarnation. Listen to this. It's in Psalms, Psalm 68, verse 19. Do you ever picture yourself as just loaded down with burdens? The things that are happening in your life are just so heavy, so difficult that you just can barely walk? Listen to this verse. It's Psalm 68, verse 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefit the God of our salvation. So God literally is loading us with blessings each and every day. And through the incarnation, we have received so many different blessings. Effie Marsh says this, these are some of the blessings that God has given to us, an acceptance that can never be questioned, an inheritance that can never be lost, a deliverance that can never be excelled, A grace that can never be limited. A hope that can never be disappointed. A bounty that can never be withdrawn. A joy that need never be diminished. A nearness to God that will never be reversed. A peace that can never be disturbed. A righteousness that can never be tarnished. And a salvation that can never be canceled. And these are just a few of the blessings that God has poured out upon us because of the incarnation, because of Jesus Christ becoming flesh. We have a great weight of blessings that weigh us down every day. Except for it works the reverse of burdens. Instead of pulling us down, these blessings lift us up. I want to talk about just a few Of the blessings that we have received. And I want to put these blessings in the context of Romans chapter 5, verse 8. While we were yet sinners, when we were still rabid dogs, Christ died for us and demonstrated his love towards us. The first blessing that I want to talk about is forgiveness. The fact that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven. Every sin that you have ever committed or every sin that you ever will commit has been washed away in the blood of Christ. It says in Micah chapter 7, verse 19, that our sin has been placed into the sea of forgetfulness, never again to be brought up by God. He's not standing there accusing you of your sin. He is your defender. He is your advocate. Your sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. So great is God's love towards us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. He became like us so that he could take upon himself, upon his flesh, the sin of the world. So that he could also shed his blood on our behalf. A perfect blood, a perfect sacrifice shed on our behalf. In Hebrews chapter 9, we read this. But Christ came as the high priest, of the good things to come, and the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption for the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean and sanctifying the purifying of the flesh, but only occasionally how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience. Listen to this. Purge your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. We have a great freedom, just as the song we sang this morning talked about. My chains are gone. I've been set free. All of that guilt, all of that weight that came because of my sin has been washed away into the sea of forgetfulness, never again to be raised up. We possess that in Christ because he became like us. There's an interesting concept in the Old Testament called the kinsman redeemer. In other words, to redeem certain pieces of property that had fallen into the possession of a creditor, you had to be a close kinsman. In other words, you had to be a relative of the person who formerly owned that piece of property. It was because the Jews so laid such importance upon their inheritance, the land. So you had to be a close relative, a near kinsman, and you had to be able to pay the redemption price. This is why Jesus became flesh. He became our kinsman, redeemer. He became like us, a near relative, and he was able to pay the price. His blood shed on our behalf, as it says there in Hebrews, perfect sacrifice, eternal redemption we have received. It's a great blessing he who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It's a wonderful gift and yet so often with forgiveness we forget that we have been forgiven. We sometimes fail to recall that our sins have been washed away as far as the east is from the west and that that weight of guilt that chain of sin we allow to reattach to our lives. Don't let the enemy do that to you. Understand that you have been made new, which leads me into the second blessing. Through the incarnation and the grace that God bestowed upon us within it, we have received a new birth, a spiritual birth. We have become new creatures in Christ. Everything Paul wrote to the Corinthians is set aside for this new life in Christ. Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, unless you are born again of the spirit, you will not see God. Now, Nicodemus was a man who knew the scriptures. He was a religious man. In fact, he was the teacher of Israel. And yet Jesus said, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came and some received him. It says in John chapter 1, to those who received him, he gave them the right or the privilege or the power to become children of God even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you have been born again as a Christian. But it's because of Jesus coming in the flesh. You have been adopted into the family of God. And all the riches, every blessing that Christ possesses, so possess you. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. In Christ we possess every spiritual blessing. And beyond that, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. Stop and think about that for just a moment. The God who called the universe into creation is not ashamed to speak to us as brothers and sisters. For it was fitting to him for him. This is in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For whom are all things, and by whom are all things. Listen again. The writer is saying, it's fitting for him who is the creator, the eternal one, the one who has always lived, and bringing many sons to glory to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So Jesus became like us, and he calls us brothers. Even more so, he calls us friends. That's what he said to the disciples in the upper room. You are the friend of God. Made of the same substance that he is. We have become, it says in 2 Peter 1.4, partakers of the divine nature. Just as Jesus became flesh, so too we now have the spirit indwelling us, and we have become partakers of the divine nature. And the best aspect of that is found in Romans. And this is really overwhelming if you stop and meditate upon it, contemplate, this because remember you're the rabid dog that tore him to shreds but this is what you have received you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out Abba father The Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are children, now pay attention to this, this is deep. If we are children, then we are heirs of the Father, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we will also be glorified together with him. The new birth, the adoption into the family of God, the inheritance that we have received. All of that comes to us because Jesus Christ, the Word that was with God and that was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. An incredible, extraordinary grace that is given to us. And that's all wonderful. We've been forgiven. Our sins are washed away. We have been born again. We have become partakers of the divine nature. Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. But beyond all of that, we have, because of what Jesus did, being born in that manger, dying upon that cross, rising from the dead on the third day, we have an eternal future. A hope that extends far beyond this life, far beyond the difficulties that we face in this life, we hold on to an anchor of hope that teaches us that God will never leave us, he will never forsake us, and indeed, even as we perish, even as we die, we are transformed. We go into his presence, and we will be resurrected From the dead, we will take on new bodies that are incorruptible, that are immortal, that will never again taste death. Three things that happen to us in this eternal future, and we read about them all in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 5, it says that we will become kings and priests. And we will reign with him. It says, You are worthy to take the scroll, speaking to the Lamb of God, and to open its seals, for you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe, and tongue, and people, and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. Notice there the description of the worthy one. How is he described? As the Lamb of God the one whose body was sacrificed in our behalf. So we become kings and priests in your future and in mine. We will sit on thrones with him and we will rule over a new heaven and a new earth with him because he became flesh. We have an eternal future that involves living In his presence. Revelation chapter 22. Beginning in verse 3. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. That is the new city. New Jerusalem and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads and there shall be no night there and there shall be no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign with him forever and ever. So we will be with him. We will see him face to face. We will exist and dwell in his presence. That is what you have to look forward to. And then finally, and this is found in verse 3 of Revelation 22, we will spend our eternity not sitting upon a cloud playing a harp, but in his service. It says that there will be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So we have an eternal future that is filled with the most purposeful, intentional work that we could have ever hoped for. Now, all of us have worked throughout our lives. Some of us have loved the work that we've done. Some of us have struggled in the work we have done. But all of us have had to work because work is meaningful. Work is purposeful. Work is God's intention. Before the fall, God told Adam and Eve, work the garden, tend it. We will spend eternity in his service doing whatever kind of amazing work God has for us, what we are well-suited to do throughout a new heavens, traveling all over creation in his service. But notice in each one of those descriptions of the eternal future that you possess and that I possess as kings and priests living in his presence, seeing him face to face, performing works in his service, each one of those is tethered to a description of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. You see, this is all based upon the grace of the incarnation. That Jesus, the Word, became flesh, gives us an eternal future that is full of hope, full of meaning, full of joy. Yeah, sometimes we go through difficult stuff in this life. We're betrayed. Sometimes we we struggle to make ends meet. Sometimes our lives are bound by sickness. Whatever. It's hard. I get that. And in this life, we can hold on to the hope that we have in Christ, that he is with us and will not leave us. He has experienced all of those same difficult things as we go through. But ultimately, our existence is not only this life. It's not the birth to 70 years or so, whatever the Lord happens to give us, that is the end-all and be-all of who you are and who I am. We have an eternal future that carries with it an eternal weight of glory. In Ephesians, again, chapter 2, it says that God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Ages to come, an eternal future. That's what we have to look forward to. But this life does matter. How we live this life, the things that we do in this world, impact our eternal future. The choice we make to either follow Christ or to reject him. And if we choose to follow Christ, how do we do that? What is the manner of our lives? Are we obedient to him? Or do we go our own path? It's a great grace that we have been given, church. We were the rabid dogs. And he became like us. Took upon himself Our disease healed us, forgave us, gave us new birth into an eternal future. How do you see yourself today? This is the essence of grace. This is the essence of grace. How do you see yourself today? Do you see yourself still as that rabid dog Do you see yourself as John Wayne Gacy? Because that's what you were at one time. But it's no longer what you are. Because of the incarnation. I came upon this this week as I'm reading a book by Eugene Peterson. And I came upon this passage. And it just, I thought, beautifully characterized how we ought to see ourselves as people who have been loaded down with blessings and benefits, people who have been forgiven, people who have been born again into a living hope. Listen to this. And and really about how we see each other, how we live together as Christians, as brothers and sisters. Listen to this. God, delighting, In us, festoons or adorns his creatures, just as we, when we delight in one another, enhance and elaborate those whom we love. I want to read that again. God, delighting in us, adorns his creatures, just as we, when we delight in one another, enhance and elaborate one another. We adorn one another. With the help of a vocabulary learned in the word of God, we begin to see God's people and ourselves, not through the dirty lens of our own muddled feelings and not through the smudgy window of someone else's carping criticism, but rather in terms of God's word. We never know how good we can look, how delightful we can feel, or how strong we can be until we hear ourselves addressed in love by God or by the one who represents God's love to us. I want to read that again as well. We never know how good we can look or how delightful we can feel or how strong we can be until we hear ourselves addressed in love by God or by the one who represents God's love to us. That which in itself is without value acquires infinite value by the fact that it is the object of God's love. That's the grace of the incarnation. The miracle of Christmas is that God loves us And he loved us so much that he sent his son to become like us so that we could be transformed, literally, into his image and live lives that righteously reflect him and possess an eternal hope in him. And while we do that, church, let us love one another with the love of God. Let us look upon one another as we might look upon the very face of Jesus Christ. Not with smudgy feelings or carping criticism, but let us look at each one in front of us, whether in the body or out there, and see that potential and speak that love that adorns You see, we don't need any more criticism. We don't need to be told that we were rabid dogs, that we were like John Wayne Gacy. We know that. If we're honest with ourselves, we understand that. We need living together today and looking forward to the eternal future tomorrow to speak love to one another. That's the language of Christmas. Heavenly Father, we thank you of the great love that you bestowed upon us in the incarnation, the grace that you have given to us, the unmerited favor we receive in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, that there would be a transforming flow of your Holy Spirit moving in each one of us to hear your love spoken to us by your spirit, through your word, and by one another. Lord God, may love indeed be the language not just of this season, but of this life and that which is yet to come in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rise up and we are going to conclude with the first Noel. <laughs>